one of my favorite parishioners, Joanne Tredenick. Uh, Joanne Tredenick has been a resident here of historic Springfield for many, many years, one of the first pioneers to move into a neighborhood that had been very run down, for those of you who don't live in Jacksonville, and, and renovate a beautiful home and really stay there as the, as the neighborhood began to transition. Joanne is also the founder of what is called the Green Spirits Group here at the Cathedral, which is our environmentally conscious group that is called to increase awareness um, as to how we can live in a harmonious relationship with this beautiful planet that God has given us. So welcome, Joanne. It's so great to have you this morning. Thank you, Kate. I'm glad to be here and thank you for having me. Yeah, it's such a joy to talk with you. So Joanne, maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, your life, your, your childhood, and how you became, over the course of your life, so passionate about this beautiful earth that we've been given. Okay. Well, I, I think I could frame this with saying um, I'm in my late 60s, so that will give people a frame of reference for uh, how my life fell into the environmental and conservation movement into this country. Uh, but probably from my childhood, one of the most formative experiences I had and I didn't realize this was so formative till later looking back at it. But um, my parents were outdoors people. You know, I grew up, they loved fishing. So we, they, they weren't conservationists, quote unquote, but they were active and outdoors. So uh, there was a place we would go in the summer. I learned to fish there. Um, learned to hunt trap animals actually there, oh, everything. Yes. So um, we, we were outdoors and this was a large space, about 10,000 acres as a child. I could, there were few people there, it was owned by one person who allowed some people to build cabins there and stay there. So that was a place I loved. And really uh, that's where the love of nature even watching birds, you know, outdoors, um, really was cultivated from a small child on. So when I was about 10 or 11, the owner sold this property. And I didn't realize what that meant until I realized that there were surveyors all over the place. Wow. And what had happened was the owner could no longer afford to keep it, um, had sold the property for a development. Mm -hmm. So now the long-term objective was to have 10,000 houses oh my goodness. on this property. Wow. And, you know, as a little girl, I, I, I couldn't get how could this happen? You know, how could this place I love just be ruined? Yeah, in come my on, mind, come ruined, and destroyed, ruined. Really. Yeah. So, um, I, I <laughs> one thing I did in my little girl way was after the surveyors left, I pulled up all the stakes, you know, <laughs> uh, thinking that will stop them. Well, of course, it didn't stop them, and it's now called Treasure Lake today with all these houses out there. But that was a pretty visceral experience that places we love 
that are natural, open space, uh, can be taken away. Yeah, they need protection. Yeah, yeah. and they need protection, and uh, they won't always be there. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was a very formative experience for me, seeing that happen to land mm -hmm. and water yeah. that I loved. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. at a very young age. Very yeah, age. yeah, yeah, yes, it was. So then growing up, tell us about how your career unfolded and brought you to where you are today. Well, um, as an adolescent, so I've told you from my age, <laughs> I was an adolescent in the late 60s and early 70s. Mm -hmm. And that's when uh, the environmental movement really got started. Mm -hmm. um, in a different way, in a, in a more politically active way, I would say, um, widespread politically active way. Of course, there was Earth Day. Um, a lot of legislation passed at the federal level in, um, uh, in this country in the 1970s, and I was just drawn to all that, to conservation, um, again, I think from the way I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not like my parents were doing it and then, you know, I followed them. That It was just a, a drive, I guess, that I had. It's um, obviously now, as spiritual people, I think we see it's what I was called to do. Absolutely. So um, that's how that got started. And then after, I, I majored in forestry at University of uh, New Hampshire. So... Um, you know, that was a lot of science background for yeah. me, which is very important uh, to, uh, was important to me. And um, then afterwards, uh, after getting out of school, I had the opportunity, again, following on all this legislation protecting our environment, to do wetlands protection work and uh, at a regional planning agency. And I could see how contentious that was you know, these forces of uh, developers wanting to fill in wetlands, which are critical to our water quality, um, versus planners and conservationists wanting to save them. And then in the mail, I got this uh, piece from this group called the Nature Conservancy. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on some mailing list, obviously, and um, saw, wow. Oh, these people are protecting land, yeah. which is how the Nature Conservancy got started as a land protection organization. When did it get started, Joanne? Uh, over 60 years ago. Okay, well. Yeah, in New York. And it was the same kind of thing. It was a group of people who, were, who saw they were going to lose Mianus Gorge, mm -hmm. a place that they loved. And uh, there's a wonderful story about the very brave and tenacious conservationists that protected that place. Um, but it, it was that same drive. Something they loved was going to be taken and they had to do something. You know, it's really interesting. I, I think it's only recently that people like me have begun to understand that the land has an innocence to it. And, and it's almost like a child that needs protection. We, we just assume that it's, it can withstand anything, but we need to think about it differently, that it is fragile. Um, that it is innocent, uh, defenseless, you could say. Um, and if human beings don't protect it from other human beings, it will be 
taken over. Yeah. Yes. And it's, um, and to your point, we're never done. <laughs> you know, I mean, sadly, uh, for example, we think in this country, our national parks should be untouchable, you know, that they're protected mm -hmm. in perpetuity. And they are in one sense, but we also have to be alert to threats to those parks for mm -hmm. people who may want some of the land or who want to put in appropriate uses in or next to our national parks. And the, you know, this is, these are lands and waters that belong to every American. Yes. And we still have to protect them mm -hmm. vigorously. Mm -hmm. Yes, so you're right, yeah. So you get this letter, and then what happens? <laughs> well, at that time, um, I, I, I joined. You, at that time, you could be a member of the Nature Conservancy, I think, for $25 a year, <laughs> and I could afford that. So I did that, and that, that would, and so I've been a member of the Nature Conservancy for almost 40 years now. Wow. And, um, you know, as a, as a young woman getting a career started, having a family, all that, I couldn't devote a lot of time to the conservancy, but as my children graduated to be out of the home and uh, my life circumstances gave me more time to devote uh, to conservation, I did make the decision that um, the Nature Conservancy was the primary organization to which I was going to give my time, my talent, and my treasure. And why this one as opposed, because there are lots of, now there are lots of environmentally focused groups, why the Nature Conservancy? That's a good question, yeah. Um, and there are many really good organizations that are very worthy of people supporting them. Why I chose the Nature Conservancy, and this has become more um, apparent to me again over time, um, the Nature Conservancy is a global organization and the Conservancy works in a lot of countries, uh, in every state in the United States. Um, and they're very effective at their work. It's science-based and good conservation needs to be based in science, uh, good conservation work. Um, and, you know, we've talked about, you've talked about in a recent sermon how the problems of the world can seem so big and overwhelming to us you know, where do I start? <laughs> you know, how do I, as one woman, uh, affect the biodiversity crisis or the climate crisis? How can I do that? Mm. Well, a way that I can have a part in addressing those things is via the Nature Conservancy. And so the Conservancy is a way that I feel that I can have an impact that's just beyond my country, beyond my community, beyond my neighborhood. Um, so that, that's what really draws me to it. And they, the Nature Conservancy is also very good at policy work. It's, mm -hmm. the, quiet, yeah. it's the quiet work, 
but these big intractable problems need big solutions mm -hmm. and need really government working with the private sector to resolve them. And the way that is done is through policy work, you know, working, working with our elected officials to um, help guide good policy. So you served on the board for a number of years, and you've recently been given an award. Tell us about this award, and don't be shy, because it's, it's oh, yeah. big. It's like a lifetime achievement or something. Yes. Right? It, um, uh, the, the Nature Conservancy has uh, boards of, of trustees in each state, and then also there are regional boards in, in different countries and different places. So I have, um, since 2011, served on the Florida Chapter Board of Trustees. And uh, by uh, our bylaws, according to our bylaws, I was about to term off, because we have term limits. And um, I believe in term limits. I think they're good governance yeah. <laughs> mechanisms, of course. Um, but the, can, the Florida Chapter decided a couple years ago that they wanted to have a mechanism to have a few lifetime trustees um, to change the bylaws to allow just a few. And our chapter allows three mm -hmm. lifetime trustees. And uh, recently I was awarded uh, a lifetime trustee position, Wonderful. which is... Um, you know, Kate, that, that's an award from my peers. Yeah, yeah. And these are people I've worked with for over a decade, so they know my attributes as well as my mm -hmm. faults. And they still want me around. So it's a huge, uh, it's, you know, and they're, our board of trustees is excellent, and to be honored by them is, and our staff, our Nature Conservancy staff, all over the world, but of course in our state, is excellent. So to have that kind of um, affirmation is is a huge honor mm -hmm. for me. And since I'm still fairly young and healthy, they're going to be stuck with me for a while. Yeah. So <laughs> <That's> a <good laughs> thing. it also means I have a lot of work to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It does. Yes. Well, and, and so, and this Green Spirits group that we started here a few years ago, how did that, how did you start feeling inspired to do that, to take this work and bring it into your church? Well, um, as Episcopalians, of course, we have for quite a while uh, been recognizing God's creation yes. in our liturgy and recognizing our, um, I would say, spiritual responsibility mm -hmm. to care for God's creation. It, it's in our liturgy, and it's, of course it's now in prayers and uh, books and all that sort of thing. Um, so uh, this was a number of years ago during Lent, and we were um, praying for taking good care of our earth, and then I think we came over to our parish hall and had food served on plastic or styrofoam <laughs> or something yep. egregious. And <laughs> I thought, wait a minute. Yeah. 
you know, we can't be on our knees praying to be good stewards at 10.30 and then at 11.30 we're doing something that is not aligned yes. with that. Right. There's, there's hypocrisy here mm -hmm. or maybe just lack of awareness. Mm -hmm. And so um, th that's when I came to you. <laughs> can, can, we, can we think about this initiative here and, and look at our own selves, look inward at ourselves individually as um, members of this congregation as well as ourselves as a communal body? Um, how can we improve our care of God's creation. And uh, Green Spirits was born. Um, I, we didn't make up the name. Um, there's a church that we go to in South Florida that they have their own Green Spirits oh, group. And I, I called the priest there and said, can we steal your name? It's really good. I can't come up with anything any better. And uh, Reverend Scharf gave me the permission to use the name. So that's how we got to be Green Spirits. Oh, I love that. Yeah, love that. yeah. Well, they call it conscious consumption, um, Joanne, and um, uniting your spiritual life with your daily practices, your physical practices, is so important for all Christians. Um, give us some hints about how the, the regular person who may not be as aware or awake as you can begin to start living in a way that harms the planet less. Uh, what are some initial steps that we can take? Well, some we have taken here as a community. Um, Kate, you have uh, led us during a number of Lents uh, in a plastic fast, which is where we uh, strive to become very intentional about avoiding the use of one-time plastics. Um, so that's a way. And I wish you all who are listening could see this. We've got two water bottles here, Joanne's and mine, next to each other right now. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> who are reusable. They're not plastic. Right. But it's funny when you, um, I find this the case where I'll go to a meeting and they'll automatically bring me a, a, a disposable plastic bottle full of water. Yes. And it's, it's hard because you don't want to be rude. It, it's hard to say, oh, I'm not using one-time use plastics um, I've started doing that and I'm actually trying now before they go get the bottle to say hey but by the way if you're getting yeah. me a drink I'm so you don't have to refuse something but um, so many people are doing that um, wonderful nonprofits that do other work are still bringing you that plastic bottle yes it's it it's easy mm -hmm. that's why it's easy yeah um, and Changing habits takes it is harder and it's convenient. Um, I mean, there is no doubt plastics can be very convenient. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I, I think when you talk about um, conscious, being conscious of our consumption, you know, plastic utensils, one time use plastic utensils take 500 years to degrade. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's horrifying when we think about it that our country is so wealthy 
I, I mean, most other places in the world would not be throwing out something that would last 500 years. Right. They'd be using it yes. for yes. their lifetime. Right. Um, but, you know, our country is so wealthy and uh, petroleum-based products have been made so cheap through various, for various reasons, we won't get into that, but, I mean, they're cheap uh, relative to the wealth that most individuals or organizations have here. So, okay, they can purchase plastic forks and give them out for free and people can throw them out and our city doesn't charge for, um, you know, mountains of waste being hauled off from a lot of places. So, uh, I mean, there are mechanisms that could reduce waste, but it, right now it's just cheap and easy the way our practices are structured to promote the use of one-time plastics. So that's, that's part, I would say, a, certainly part of that problem. You know, one of the things that I think about when you talk about conscious consumption is just the short-sightedness of all of it. Even yeah. if you are interested in benefiting yourself or the human race, it's such a, a it's an instant gratification for a long-term goal that ends up hurting you. I mean, yes. it's not even practical from a selfish perspective. Right. <laughs> if you go to the beach, you'll be picking that fork up right. off the beach. Right. Because it's now... <laughs> It's now washed out to the sea, oftentimes, and uh, yeah, we so, are hurting ourselves. So, how do you advise us beginning to wake people up? How, how would you do that, other than saying I don't use something or going to a restaurant and refusing it? Um, well, I I think as a start, and and some of this is a practice we do it as Christians, is being grateful for the things we have. So um, many or most of us. You know, when we sit down to have a meal, we thank God for that. And often we thank God for the people who produced it, the farmers mm -hmm. or the land or the water that created that food for us. So gratitude is a start. Um, and then we can, you know, think about other things that we use in our daily life. Uh, clothing, you know, what is, what is behind the clothes that we wear, the fabrics, the materials, what's behind the furniture on which we sit. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're trees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> trees make wood furniture. Just being conscious of how, how things got to you. How did they get in your life? And then, of course, if we want to consume less which is um, one of the things we think about, uh, you know, if we're going to have a lower impact on the planet, how can we consume less and be intentional mm -hmm. about that? I know that um, I love to bring my little bamboo um, utensils to just bring, have canvas bags in the back of your car I like actually have started in the past few years buying my clothes at consignment shops, which yes. feels good because they're not new. Yes. And they're also 
pretty affordable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can get some great stuff. Yeah. 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 What yeah. other things can we do? Um, obviously, trying. You, I saw you riding your bike here. That's yes. A great thing yeah. To do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us some other habits that can be helpful for us. Well, um, on the climate front, we'll, let's talk about that because that that's that's a really fundamental threat yeah. <laughs> to all of us. And um, as Christians, of course, we need to think about the fact that that the most threatened people by climate, uh, the climate crisis, are the poor. Yeah. They they don't they don't have the options that wealthier people have. So um, we have a number of reasons to be concerned about the climate uh, crisis. Um, but. To, uh, thinking about it, of course, what creates carbon emissions? The use of energy. So a thing that we can think about in our daily life is how do I use less energy? You know, do I have to have all these lights on at night? Or can I focus on keeping the lights on in the room where I'm studying or working or whatever I'm doing and I don't need to light up the whole house? Just being mindful of things like that. Um, uh, use of a vehicle if if you have a car you know how can I use less gas in my car well one way you can do that is being more efficient about the way you travel you know um, if you commute to work to and from work you know how could you uh, bunch your errands or other things you have to do with your commute so that you're not making a lot of extra trips um, things air, air travel is really carbon. Yes, very carbon intensive. So yes. we have people that are traveling the world, but every time we fly, we do burn a lot more uh, petroleum, don't we? Then yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, that's always been a struggle for me. I, I would love to travel, but it is pretty. It's a big carbon footprint. Isn't it's it? a struggle for me, yeah. and guilty as charged. Yeah. I mean, we're my husband and I are flying up to Philadelphia this weekend to go to a wedding. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess you could offset that if you're capable financially with maybe planting some trees or doing something to counteract that, that carbon imprint. Um, I know uh, at my husband's conference in Hawaii, they planted um, a few hundred trees because they were flying all these doctors to yes. Hawaii. Yes. Um, and so it was a way of at least acknowledging that they were trying to um, balance the scales a little bit there. So. Yes. And... And it is a way of acknowledging that. I, I think, um, you know, we, <laughs> we can't all be Greta Thunberg. Right. Um, you know, she's, she's a young person who's an example to all of us. But uh, for, for most of us, I think that's not really attainable. But your word, uh, conscious consumption, mm -hmm. you know, being conscious and being conscious of the things we can do in our daily life or our life over the course of a year that reduce energy consumption. It takes energy to make everything we use. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, whether it's buying food at the store or buying your clothes or buying uh, transportation, it all takes energy. And so being conscious of how much energy we're using um, is a really good start really good start and um, 
you know, even things that we've talked earlier one time earlier, you know, think of things like our daily tasks, like doing the laundry. Yeah. You know, that's a, a task that most of us have to do during the course of a week. And um, do full loads of laundry. Hang your clothes on a rack or a clothesline instead of putting them in the dryer. Um, using less soap. It, it takes energy to create that soap that comes to you. And, uh, you know, now we don't have to buy in soap in uh, plastic containers. You can get it in boxes. And now there are even sheets of soap that are very energy efficient to ship. Um, so even daily tasks like laundry, we can think about how do I use less energy to wash the clothes that I have? It's interesting how when we begin to do these things, we feel more connected to the earth because we're, we're at least trying to live in relationship with it. As, we, as our consumption becomes more conscious, we become more thankful yes. for the things that we've been given. It's, it's really good for you spiritually to, to do these things um, and to just go for a walk in, in nature and appreciate the beauty of this earth that we've been given. Yes. Yeah. And... Um, I, yeah, we, I guess there's that term that was <laughs> around for a while, consciousness raising. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's really what we're talking about is, is raising our own consciousness and, um, you know, being mindful of just the little things in nature. You don't have to go out to a park necessarily, but it's wonderful to do so. But even just walking down the street Mm -hmm. um, here in Jacksonville, you know, listen for birds. They're there. We actually have a lot. Yeah, we do. And, um, you know, we're look at that little, what you might call a weed, you know, that's, that's coming up that has a beautiful little flower on it and notice it. Mm -hmm. Be grateful mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Um, nature is, um, it, it, as you were saying before, you know, nature is innocent and can be easily damaged, but nature's also super resilient. Mm. I mean, we saw this during the pandemic. So if we just give nature space to be resilient, um, na nature will keep us healthy. Mm. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always been moved at how Jesus just spent most of his time outside, walked yes. around, and used most of the images that he uses to refer to God, used images from nature. Um, and we forget he was very attuned to the earth. Um, yes. And uh, we need to get back to that kind of living, don't we? We do. And of course, at that time, living in a where he lived, a desert environment, um, <laughs> you had to be very cognizant of nature to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't get enough rain, there's going to be a famine. Right. Too much rain, there's another problem. Right. Um, not that we don't have those problems, uh, and they are becoming exacerbated by the way we have abused nature but we are still totally dependent on nature mm -hmm. we are totally dependent on nature it's just our modern lifestyle has allowed us to be less aware mm -hmm. of it 
Yeah, sometimes I wonder, and I do hope, that we're turning a corner as a human race, that there's a theologian called Elia Delio who talks about us entering a new age, um, uh, a second axial age, she would call it, where, where our consciousness has changed and mm -hmm. we live in a different relationship with the earth, where races are no longer in contention with one another, where we acknowledge we have to stop killing each other and we have to stop hurting the earth or we won't survive. Yes. Um, and she talks about us eventually living in, in sort of high-rise apartments, the human race, mm -hmm. and leaving a lot more land mm -hmm. fallow. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, it's a kind of a beautiful vision for just taking up less space. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's, it's not a, a new idea. I'm not an anthropologist by any stretch, but, you know, I've uh, learned about other cultures enough to know, you know, uh, millennia ago um, or centuries ago, you know, societies organized themselves that they lived on a small area and maybe had a wall yeah. or some way of marking off the area where there were going to be dense habitation of humans. Mm -hmm. And then past that were the agricultural lands. Yeah. So very much uh, an awareness that unlike us right now where we just sprawl all over everything uh, recognizing we need to live in denser human habitations and allow nature to thrive and support us in more open spaces mm. I, my guess is we, we're going to have to get back to that yeah, yeah. we're going to have yeah. to conserve more land which gets yeah. back to this yeah. nature conservancy so what, uh, if someone is interested in the Nature Conservancy, is the best way to go on the website? And yes, website? you can go to nature.org nature or just Google org. the That's Nature easy. Conservancy in Florida. Um, so yes, yeah, there's, uh, we, we've got a really great website now for the Florida chapter of the Nature Conservancy. So. Uh, that's how people can can learn about that and the conservancy um, has some really audacious goals for for 2030 mm. um, and uh, you know things that we could never uh, achieve uh, as individuals but as an example the 2030 goal is to um, protect one point two or excuse me to protect 1.6 billion acres of land billion that's billion. b billion, billion acres of land globally wow. by 2030 that's so <laughs> how could one person sitting here at jacksonville you know think how could i do that but with the conservancy it is 600 scientists and about 4,000 employees there is the there are the resources and the capacity to do that. Mm, so, so, it is hopeful. It's hopeful. Um, yes. And uh, through science-based work, um, the Conservancy knows what are the most important places to protect immediately, mm, mm, prioritizing. So, Nature.org. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, Joanne, for being with me today and talking about all this. We have a lot of work to do, don't we? We do, Kate. <laughs> well, I thank you for your 
support um, here at St. John's Cathedral for, for thinking about this in such an intentional way and for your leadership um, encouraging us to, to do this work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in the podcast, Find It. Remember that if you keep searching for the divine presence, you will find it. I want to invite you, if you're interested in hearing more of these podcasts, to subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button and you will be informed of new episodes. And before we part ways, I pray that God will bless you and hold you, give you peace. Until we meet again.